Please join me in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10. Listen again to God's word for us. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word, with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm through Christ our Lord. Amen. The image we have this morning of Christ as the good shepherd carrying sheep on his shoulders. This was a very prominent image in early Christian art, particularly in the catacombs of Rome, which were underground burial tombs dating back as early as the second and third centuries for Christians. 19th century church historian and pastor Philip Schaff noted this dynamic of this prominent image of the Good Shepherd in his book, The History of the Christian Church, and he noted it as follows. While Roman Catholic cemeteries are easily recognized by crosses and crucifixes, Protestant cemeteries by the frequency of the scripture passages and the epitaphs, the catacombs have a character of their own, which distinguishes them from Roman Catholic as well as Protestant cemeteries. Their most characteristic symbols and pictures are the good shepherd, the fish, the vine, These symbols almost wholly disappeared after the 4th century, but to the mind of the early Christians, they vividly expressed what is essential to all Christians of all creeds, the idea of Christ and his salvation as the only comfort in life and death. And the shepherd image, the shepherd suggested the recovery of lost sheep, the tender care and protection, the green pasture and fresh fountain, the sacrifice of life, In a word, the shepherd captures the whole picture of a savior. Our scripture passages this morning from Psalm 23 and John 10, of course, highlight this theme of God as the good shepherd, which is one one that recurs throughout scripture. It's an image that, again, conveys protection and care, provision as well as salvation, even to the point of self-sacrifice for care of the sheep. 
It is an image that embodies and expresses what the love of God and neighbor looks like and entails. And the image of the good shepherd is, of course, a metaphor. And it's helpful to remember that we're always trying to understand God, to know God through the limitations of our language, through the medium of metaphor. And we know that metaphors always highlight certain aspects as they hide others. We know that when we say things uh, like the psalmist, that the Lord is our rock, we mean that the Lord is strong, reliable, secure, foundational, enduring. But there are, of course, lots of ways in which God is not like a rock. God is alive. A rock is not. A rock is bound by time and space. God is not. Similarly, when we read of John the Baptist seeing Jesus by the River Jordan and declaring, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we get that John is making a point about Christ's saving work and grace, and that Jesus is a grown man walking around on two legs and not a furry, incalculably cute creature playing around on all four. Metaphors always reveal some key insights, even as they usually overlook other key dynamics and attributes. But as noted in a book by George Lakoff and Mark Johnson, a really fascinating book called The Metaphors We Live By, the essence of metaphor is understanding and experiencing one kind of thing in terms of another. And metaphors play a powerful role in structuring what we perceive, how we get around the world, how we relate to others. So we can ask ourselves this morning, why did Jesus enlist this image of himself as the good shepherd? What does this metaphor teach us to see and to know about Christ and about the world? For starters, we should note that Christ likely used this imagery of the good shepherd, this metaphor, not only because it's prominent in the Hebrew scriptures and the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom literature, but also because it was a common aspect of everyday life in the ancient world. Sheep were one of the most common domesticated animals in ancient Palestine and Israel, and they were particularly important because of how useful they were. They provided wool, they provided milk and all of its products, yogurt, butter, cheeses. They provided meat and skins, bones and horns. They provided fertilizer. And shepherding was, of course, a regular practice of many people uh, that God has also had a close relationship in Scripture with. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had flocks that they tended. Prior to his encounter and call from God in the burning bush, Moses was just tending his father-in-law Jericho's flocks. And prior to his encounter and call from God to be king through the prophet Samuel, David was also just tending his father Jesse's sheep. And of course, that David as shepherd arises as well in his battle with Goliath, Goliath when he took Goliath down with a stone flung from his shepherd's sling. That was used far more usually to fend off wild animals that were looking to eat the sheep. So Christ drew on this image, this practice of shepherding, uh, to teach us something. And the primary thing Christ is teaching us through this is, honestly, what leadership is all about. When Moses, for instance, was nearing death, he prayed to God, let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation, over the people, who shall go out before them 
and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord shall not be like sheep without a shepherd. And similarly, when David ascended the throne, it was to take charge from God, as recounted in 2 Samuel 5, that David will shepherd my people Israel and be their ruler. Similarly, with David, as affirmed in Psalm 28, or 78, which reads, God chose his servant David and took him from the sheepfolds, from tending the nursing ewes, and brought him to be shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And with upright heart, David tended them and guided them with a skillful hand. So all this shepherd imagery, it's about leadership, and it's about the reality that a good leader is one who serves the people, even at risk to him or herself, someone who works for the benefit of those under the leader's charge and care. A shepherd leader is a servant leader. And this image of the shepherd, it's particularly helpful when you think about servant leadership because shepherds spent most of their time in the monotonous work of just guarding the flocks. Sheep require constant care because they're practically defenseless. So the shepherds were constantly having to walk around guiding the sheep to locate food, to locate water, all the while trying to avoid hardships and guard against thieves and guard against wild animals who might take the sheep. The shepherd's calling was to provide for and to protect the flock, to lead them in the right paths, to fend off threats. The shepherd was responsible and accountable for their welfare. And this flows as well with what Christ teaches in other spots about leadership. When he hears the disciples jockeying for position against one another, Jesus tells them, you all know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And Jesus, of course, continued to make a point that we'll return to shortly. For even the Son of Man, even the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. So even as God charges Israel's rulers with servant leadership as the shepherd of the people, uh, and many many scriptural passages also lift up God himself as the ultimate shepherd. For instance, Jacob, when he was on his deathbed and he was blessing Joseph's two sons, he blessed them like this, the God before whom my ancestors Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day. The angel who redeemed me from all harm, Lord, bless these boys. And as the prophet Isaiah similarly proclaimed, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. There are lots of passages throughout scripture uplifting God as the good shepherd. And so it's not surprising that this is a core image that Jesus lifts up as well. And when we think about God as shepherding us, God shepherding care for us in all of creation, it's really helpful to highlight two key dynamics of God's care for us, God's 
provision and protection for us. And those two key dynamics are, first, God's creative grace for us, and second, God's saving grace for us. So let's consider God's creative grace first, which, again, is the way in which God, the Good Shepherd, provides for us. This creative grace of God, this providing grace of God, it's all around us, every second of every day, and so much so that it can be easy to overlook. But if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we can see God's shepherding care all around us all the time. For starters, there's the sheer fact that anything at all exists, this universe. The fact that something exists rather than nothing. But not simply that something exists, but that a universe governed by physical laws that makes planets and solar systems possible exists. And not only that, but that fine-tuning of that universe exists that makes atmospheres and ecosystems like ours here on Earth possible. All those things that go into making our existence as God's creatures here on Earth possible are examples of God's creative grace for us, God's shepherding care for us, providing the very ground on which we stand, the green pastures on which we feed, the still waters from which we drink. But beyond the provision of mere biological existence, of course, come the provision and the care from God of those things that make our lives meaningful, beauty, and goodness, each of which has manifestations in creation that resemble and point to God's goodness, our creator, our shepherd. And that beauty comes in forms that are outside of us, of course, in the grandeur and the intricacies of creation that we observe with awe that we've been talking about, uh, the wonders of the heavens, the wonders of nature. But they, of course, also come, those beauty and goodness, within human community and individuality in the form of culture and in the forms of which we are creative and engage in creative activity that testify to the ways we're made in God's image. And that comes in all kinds of ways. Uh, that goodness and that beauty of human culture, it comes in art, it comes in music, it comes in literature and architecture, in sports, politics, food, and science, business, education, medicine. All of these things, of course, can be bent in the direction of idolatry, but at their heart, they're each intended as an expression of goodness and beauty for which God crafted each one of us to live and grow together in the love of God and neighbor as part of this good creation. And part of that beauty and goodness that's part of God's everyday care, of course, also comes in God's spirit moving with and through us, calling us and beckoning us to peace and joy and patience and kindness and faithfulness and forgiveness and generosity and justice, all those fruits of the spirit, all those ways in which we feel God's hand leading us and calling us. So when we consider creation, we think about creation, we see creation, as the work of our Good Shepherd, we can see and hear the world at a very foundational level as literally, literally alive and a light and a glow with the song of God's grace and God's care and God's glory. And this idea of creation as something that God is constantly singing to us uh, and constantly beckoning us in and creating us in it flows really nicely with the image of God as our shepherd, because uh, often shepherds will lead their sheep along uh, with song. Uh, in his book, The Good Shepherd, 
A thousand-year journey from Psalm 23 to the New Testament, Kenneth Bailey notes the ways in which shepherds in the Holy Land would, quote, walk slowly ahead of the sheep and either play a 10-second tune on a pipe or more often sing a unique call to which the sheep are attracted, primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. And in the passage in John, or in the chapter 10 in John, just before the passage we heard this morning, Christ talks about the ways in which Christ's sheep hear his voice, uh, and he calls his own sheep and leads them out, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Uh, And this image of God walking before us and calling us with his voice, calling us with his song, is that provisional care uh, that God gives us in creation. So I think uh, it's illuminating to envision and recognize creation itself uh, as an ongoing, ever-present song of God, sung to each one of us, beckoning us forward, uh, calling us into the love of God and neighbor, calling us into the goodness and the beauty of this creation of which we're a part. Uh, And it's important to note along those lines, though, uh, there is also the question here, uh, not only of God's creative grace, of God's providing grace, Um, but also the question amidst goodness of creation of where God is, where God's protecting hand is in times of great loss, in times of suffering, in times of death. Those questions of where are you, God? Uh, We need you, Lord. Get over here, God, is a common refrain in Scripture, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. It's important to note that all those calls affirm that God is our shepherd. Those are calls to the shepherd who needs to get on duty, And when we're facing loss, loss of loved ones, loss of abilities, loss of health, loss of safety, loss of love, it can be hard to feel, even imagine the shepherd's care, even that the shepherd's there. But the affirmation of our God as our shepherd, as the one beckoning us forward, is that even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, God is there with us, calling us along, It's an affirmation that there is a draw and a claim on our lives, aside from that loss, a call on our lives that's calling and singing us forward, uh, not merely here and now, but even into and unto eternity. And this brings us into the second way that God is the good shepherd who tends and cares for us. Because it is God's saving grace in coming incarnate as Christ, Son of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, to rescue us in every ultimate sense from sin and from death. This is the second way in which God is our good shepherd. Christ is our good shepherd. The good shepherd, again, it's an image that God uses to highlight servant leadership. And that servant leadership is leadership that reaches out to care for and protect for the people, even at risk and unto the point of death for the leader. Now, it's important to have in the back of our minds when Christ was using this image uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, He undoubtedly was thinking of that passage from the prophet Ezekiel 34, in which Ezekiel talks about the ways in which shepherds are supposed to be those ones caring for the people, but the shepherds of Israel had gone astray, and they were not caring for the people, but merely for themselves. Ezekiel chapter 34 uh, reads as follows. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
Prophesy and say to them, to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, I, you shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and scattered they became food for all the wild animals. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths so that they may not be food for them. Ezekiel plays on that imagery of the shepherds of Israel who were supposed to be like David, caring for the people, the good shepherd, the good leader, the good ruler, as those who used and abused the sheep. But Ezekiel, interestingly, pushed that metaphor even further and said it wasn't just the shepherds who were misbehaving. He talks about the ways in which the sheep themselves were misbehaving against one another, sinning against one another. Instead of treating one another generously and kindly and compassionately, they were hoarding uh, and butting out the weak. And Ezekiel writes, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord to you, I shall judge between sheep and sheep as well. It is not enough for you to feed on good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture. When you drink of clear water, you must foul the rest with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have fouled with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted out all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. Ezekiel carries on this image in chapter 34 of the bad shepherds, the bad sheep, with how he will be the good shepherd, and he will send the Messiah to be the good shepherd. Ezekiel writes, For thus says the Lord, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture, and they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Unquestionably and undoubtedly, this passage from Ezekiel was on Christ's mind when he proclaimed that he was the good shepherd. And he was, of course, the good shepherd to the point of laying down his own life for the sheep. In that passage from John this morning, he talks about the ways in which the wolf devours the sheep uh, without a shepherd to watch. And I think if we might push the metaphor a little farther, we could think of that wolf as our sins. It's a wolf of our own making. It's a wolf of sin that unleashes death in all its forms, literal and metaphorical, And it's this wolf of our sin that Christ takes on for us. 
It is this forsakenness of our sin that God bears for us so that we might be brought into right relationship with God and our neighbors. And this is the saving grace that goes alongside the creative grace of God, our good shepherd. That saving grace, of course, is a costly grace, as we've been mentioning. It's a grace in which the shepherd becomes the lamb on our behalf, bearing and carrying away our sins. But in that sense, as it is a costly grace, it is also a restorative grace that's bringing us back from the ways we have strayed from God and bringing us back into the ways that are life-giving. There's a beautiful passage from the very end of the letter of the Hebrews that sums up all of this, God's creative grace, God's saving grace for us, this image of Christ as the good shepherd for us, the one who came incarnate to save us. And it reads as follows. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make each of us complete in every good thing so that we may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen.